Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings be upon all of you. Thank you for joining uh, episode four of our season two of Mic'd Up here from the Mecca Islamic Center, uh, 3234 Eglinton Avenue East, uh, every Saturday. Um, and what we're going to do today, inshallah, God willing, is highlighting the uprising of a new uh, world uh, order, so to speak, um, but also a new way of life uh, to eliminate the essence of Allah or the essence of God uh, or the thought of God. And uh, we only thought uh, it would be fit to bring someone who obviously is vast in this, uh, in this knowledge of atheism and this new atheism. And beside me, as you can see, uh, is the book that the Sheikh has written, Islam Answers Atheism, which is uh, the number one, uh, number one seller on Amazon in the UK. And uh, now, alhamdulillah, we have it in Toronto as well. Uh, so without further ado, a research scholar, a teacher, a lecturer, a debater, and now, alhamdulillah, um, a number one book author as well, none other than Sheikh Asrar Rashid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh, how are you? Alhamdulillah, yourself, how are you? Alhamdulillah. Uh, Jazakallah for your time, Sheikh. Uh, it's an honor for having you uh, on our platform. Uh, to speak about uh, not only your book, but this topic of atheism. So JazakAllah for, for coming. No problem, inshallah. So Sheikh, uh, we're going to get right into it. This topic, uh, throughout the week and a half uh, since we posted uh, this flyer, we've been getting a lot of uh, talk back and forth, a lot of people anticipating, and uh, obviously uh, wanting to learn more about atheism. Um, so there are some inquiring minds nonetheless, but also about your book and what, stro uh, what where you got the, the, the drive to write this book. So I, I guess my first question to yourself, Sheikh, is what was your reason for writing this book, your mission uh, and your vision? Well, the impetus to write the book goes back to well over a decade ago when in my home I found a copy of Richard Dawkins, uh, The God Delusion. And this copy was purchased by one of the family members for a degree course. And I read the entire book and I realized there were many fallacies within his argumentation. But those things were bought by people hook, line and sinker. They believed them to be true. And many people fell into doubts with regard to their religion, whether Islam or any other religion, and then left the fold of that religion based on those assumptions and doubts. So at that time, I realized that there needs to be a response. So I, I, the inception of lecturing on the subject was from around that time. Right. And then the idea of a book arose, but I never quite got down to penning the book until the spread of COVID-19 and lockdown. So during lockdown, I had some free time and I wrote the entire book. Mashallah, mashallah. And then the vision, uh, Sheikh, if, uh, if you can share, especially for the viewers, uh, why do you think it was a, a need uh, in society today? So with the new atheism, new atheism started with personalities that were popular personalities and some of them still are including Richard Dawkins, you have uh, the other individuals as well, uh, Lawrence Krauss, 
Christopher Hitchens, who's passed away, and <clears throat> Daniel Dennett. Uh, you had even magicians like James Randi, right. a part of this movement, New Atheism, and right. it became fashionable and associated with intellectualism. So New Atheism was sold and packaged to the packaged and sold in such a way that anyone who adopted new atheism was deemed as being intellectual i could see past this and past the pseudo intellectual garb of new atheism and decided to expose this initially in my lectures and then in the in the form of a book which in reality is a response to the likes of sam harris uh, Richard Dawkins, those two are alive. Daniel Dennett is still alive. And Stephen Fry, the famous British comedian, who also made some incendiary comments and statements regarding God, to whom I respond to in chapter four uh, when I discuss the problem of evil. When he talks about the, the worm uh, coming out. Yeah, the worm. Mashallah. Um, Sheikh, before we get into all of that, and my phone is already, so I apologize if I'm looking at my phone because people are already asking questions, uh, but we're going to go through some of the ones prior uh, that came through. In regards to atheism, where do you think it actually, the ideology stems from? And why do you think now, more than ever, there's an uprise of people becoming atheists, so to speak? Personally, I believe atheism is as ancient as humanity because from the onset, the refusal to bow down to Sayyiduna Adam salam was from Satan. And then Satan infused in the minds of people either polytheism and idolatry or atheism, an outright rejection of the divine creator. The sophistication of the arguments may have developed over the years, but from the early period uh, after the revelation of Al Quran Al Karim. You even had the Mu'tazila and other groups being affected by atheism, the thought being affected. And there are famous stories of even Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, when facing an atheist, when he met an atheist, he in fact had an appointment for a debate and he arrived late to the debate. Right. And Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Rahimullah Ta'ala was on the other bank, on the opposite side of the bank of the river where, where they were supposed to meet. Right. So the atheist said, you need to come over onto the other side of the shore. And uh, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa Rahimullah Ta'ala stated, I'm waiting for this tree to cut itself uh, and make itself into planks and then develop into a ship. And then I can embark on the ship or the boat. I can embark on the boat and come across to you. And the man shouted back, I mean, this was on the Tigris River or the Euphrates River, that that's virtually impossible. And he said, then how can, in, in another version of the debate, in the debate, he informs the atheist of a ship right. lost at sea, a ship that made itself and is full of cargo and different passengers, right. but the ship made itself and the atheist says this is impossible. So then Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah retorts by saying, how can you deny the universe which has stars and constellations and order and whatnot? So this was early encounters of the Muslim world with atheists. And remember, in that period also, 
violent atheism was rampant. So violent atheism, because new atheists, they claim that they are not violent at all. Right. But atheism has a very bloody history. So from communism up to 1989, when the, the, the Eastern, uh, the wall of Berlin uh, that divided Berlin in Germany was demolished. Up to that point, uh, communism had a very bloody history. Right. And right. in the time of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, there's an incident that is mentioned that a group of uh, young men uh, brandishing swords and weapons entered the masjid, killing Muslims, believers. Right. And they intended to kill Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah. And the debate is mentioned in the books of history, the conversation that ensued with this group of brigands with Imam Abu Hanifa, but they were atheists. So atheism has in every century taken different forms. If you read the biographies of various scholars, you will find the stories when they encountered atheist arguments. The difference is new atheism is re repackaging the old arguments with modern science and therefore hijacking modern science and re and stating itself to be the sole protector of science and some refer to this as scientism right very good um i just want to so those uh, individuals who are joining us now uh we do have with us a great scholar of the ahl sunnah wal jama'ah and now an author islam uh, of islam answers atheism sheikh asrar rashid sab um, so for those individuals who are joining and have questions, please put them into the chat, the live chat on our YouTube channel, and uh, we'll get Sheikh to answer uh, those questions live uh, with us. Um, Sheikh, you start the book off um, with a quote from Sayyidina Ali. Uh, this is more of a question from, from myself. Uh, I just want to know why, why you picked that quote, because it's, it's, it's actually very touching, but I want the readers to hear from yourself why you picked that quote. Well, Sayyiduna Imam Ali radiallahu an, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ana Madinatul ilmi wa aliyun babuha. I am the city of knowledge and Ali is the door to the, that city. So Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an, his quick wittedness, his intelligence, his immense knowledge, and his anecdotes and stories that are mentioned in Islamic history. And how also in chapter one, where I mention stories where uh, knowledge which is theoretical to other minds is self-evident to Ali radiallahu So he's quick at mathematics, quick at grammar. Even he was founded and established and laid down the foundations of Arabic grammar. He's, he, you could say he's the founder of formal grammar, uh, commanding Abu al-Aswad al-Du'li to write down the rules of grammar. So Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an was the appropriate person to start chapter one, the quote from Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an. And of course, there's quotes throughout the book. I think there's a quote for the introduction also. Yes. Uh, if, yes. You, if, you if you remember, um, there is a, an actual quote in the, for the introduction. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an was appropriate for that particular chapter, chapter one, which gives the backdrop to the history of Kalam, Ilmul Kalam, the Sunni Ilmul Kalam. Sunni al-Mulkalam is the historical development of ra rational intellectual arguments to defend 
the Quran and Sunnah. We, unlike the Mu'tazila, we don't give priority of the intellect over the Quran and Sunnah. This is incorrect. Many people, they say, oh, these Ash'aris or Sunnis, they give priority to the Aql over Naql, which is intellect over the Naql, which is in reference to the Quran and Sunnah. We make the Aql, the Khadim, the servant to the Quran and Sunnah. This is the difference. Well, the Mu'tazila, they attempted to make the Quran and the Sunnah a khadim of the intellect. And then there are those who reject the intellect. But Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah utilize the intellect to understand the Quran and Sunnah. SubhanAllah. Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, Sheikh, I know you spoke about them earlier just before we started the podcast. Uh, their theory. Their theories or their ideology attack uh, Islam um, rather than make a, a build on on their belief of atheism. So they're rather, uh, I mean, they're more so attacking Islam than talking about atheism uh, from reading their, their, their works. Um, atheism should warn against all religions, not just Islam. It just feels like they're just attacking Islam. Why is that, Sheikh? I believe the, the sole reason for that is because Islam has a Sharia, a Sharia law, which they find threatening to the status quo. Right. The, what is the status quo? You have the Western world that controls majority of the world's uh, material wealth, controls majority of the resources, and the Western white man would want to maintain that status quo, so therefore needs to be ahead of everyone else, indigenous people, as they refer to them, in terms of ideology, right. ideology and governance, economy, and the only religion that presents, re represents and gives an alternative to corporate capitalism, or wh what is referred to as Western democracy, even though in reality it's democracy, because when they export this democracy to other places, it causes civil war like in Iraq and Afghanistan. So to remain, maintain that status quo, Islam from their perspective needs to be demolished. Islam needs to be finished and emotive arguments are utilized, uh, taking things out of context, presenting the Sharia law as barbaric, misogynistic, uh, representing Muslims as being anti-Semitic, homophobic, these are the type of terms, and I mentioned that in the introduction. Right. And then ch chapter 6, as you will notice, relates to Sharia law, contextualizing so much of the Sharia, uh, the laws relating to women's hijab, stoning of the adulterer, all these things are placed in their true contextual application. So I believe the reason why Islam is targeted specifically is because it threatens the status quo. This is why Christopher Hitchens supported meaning a man who's passive or near passive for most of his life toward the end he supports the invasion of iraq meaning he's right. a person right. who's, who is supposed to be from the, the left a, a liberal but yet he supported the invasion of iraq why would he support the invasion of iraq to maintain that status quo of the middle class white man uh, here, uh, the ruling elite 
the hegemony of these Western nations, the only thing that actually threatens them from darker nations, from dark Africa and from the Middle East is Islam as, as a replacement for the post-colonial nation states. So we have the post-colonial nation states and the body set up, which is known as the UN, in order to protect world nations, where you have five nations that veto the rest of the world. Five nations veto over 100 nations. So the only uh, replacement for such an ideology is Islam, because Islam gives an alternative. So I believe this is why Islam is specifically targeted. SubhanAllah. Um, the difference, uh, Sheikh, you always talk about, especially in the book, but just in general, hearing your lectures uh, and your seminars, you talk about old atheism and new atheism, and that this book is uh, more so a rebuttal to the new atheist. Uh, for those individuals who don't know the difference or haven't not read your book yet, um, can we tell, in your own words, the difference between old atheists and new atheists? So the book does respond to old atheists. If you remember in chapter two and three, especially in chapter three, there is a response to David Hume and Bertrand Russell. But old atheism represents the classical uh, philosophical approach to religion, critique of religion uh, the, with the likes of Bertrand Russell. Now, Bertrand Russell was tolerant of religious people and religion. His own daughter, Catherine Tate, was a Christian and his son-in-law was a Christian missionary. Yet right. he hosted them when they arrived in England in the 1960s and he even supported them when his son-in-law went out to Africa and of course uh, to Africa is it re the reason to going Africa is the vulnerability of that nation of that continent but when he went to Africa he f he even gave them some funds to support their activities but Bertrand Russell wrote a book on why he is not Christian he also gives the reasons why he does not accept a God. Many of those arguments are respond to in the book in chapter three. Likewise, David Hume, even though some have castigated as being a skeptic or a mitigated skeptic, he was the one who laid down the foundations for modern skepticism, was in fact a skeptic regarding God Almighty, but was not a vitriolic enemy of religion. So he presented his arguments for why he does not believe in a God. Uh, those arguments range from skepticism to countering the, the design argument as well as the cosmological arguments in, in the formation that they were, uh, they were in his times because he lived in the 1700s in Scotland. Right. And then he also presents arguments from evil. In, in play form where he has characters discussing God. But those arguments are counted in my book. That was old atheism. New atheism, which was led by Richard Dawkins, uh, as I mentioned, was vitriolic, incendiary in its approach, uh, mocking religion and religious people, mocking them as being stupid. Uh, and new atheism spearheaded a, a mutated form of old atheism. In fact, many atheists have disbanded old uh, uh, new atheism and have condemned its approach. So uh, by the time this book was written, 
new atheism is in fact on a decline and the proliferation of atheist thought amongst Muslims has passed its peak. So the arguments are now facing a vigorous counterattack by Muslims. Muslims have counter, uh, countered many of the arguments and led a counterattack against new atheism. In fact, the, the tide is shifting now. As books like this are read by many young Muslims, they become exposed to the arguments. In one sense, they become inoculated uh, for themselves and they can also preach or uh, convey, not preach, the word preach is despised by atheists, convey the correct ideas and correct responses to other younger Muslims right. as well as atheists themselves. So I believe new atheism has passed its peak. Now we are witnessing the decline and this book is one of the counter-attacks from the Muslim side with regard to that. Um, Sheikh, when you start uh, chapter one, you talk about the, the Kalam methodology um, in regards to Ilmul Kalam in the, in the past and the present. Uh, why, do you, why did you adopt that or to start off chapter one with uh, the Kalam methodology? So early Kalam was associated with the Mu'tazila. And this is why the Salafi movement tend to condemn Kalam because we, we do have statements from Alima Muhammad bin Idris al-Shafi'i and others where they condemn uh, Ilmul Kalam. And this condemnation in the early period was in fact a condemnation of the Mu'tazila right. and the Mu'tazili Kalam. It was not a condemnation of what evolved into Sunni Kalam. Right. Sunni Kalam developed from the time of Imam Abu Hassan al-Ashari when he repented from uh, the Mu'tazili beliefs. And when he in fact repented from the Mu'tazili beliefs, he adopted Sunni beliefs but he utilized many of the uh, the systematic or the methodological approach of the Mu'tazila in utilizing Funun. Funun is in ancillary sciences, so logic, right. uh, which right. is at the forefront of such sciences, rhetoric, balagha, and and the chain of narration of the Sunnis goes back to Abu Hassan al-Ashari, not to the Mu'tazila. So the Salafis say he had three phases. They say he had a middle phase and then a final phase. Irrelevant to that, the chain of narration of the Sunni Kalam goes back to Al-Imam Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari, uh, Rahimallah Ta'ala. But prior to Al-Imam Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari, the Salaf, a Salafu Salihun, would utilize rational arguments against the deviant groups, including the Mu'tazila. Right. This is what later became known as Sunni Ilmul Kalam. Right. in contradistinction to the Mu'tazili Kalam. Now what shows that the Sunni Kalam is different to philosophy because uh, some of these Christians and atheists claim that Ashari Kalam and Salafis claim this also has its roots in philosophy. This is incorrect. What demonstrates this, for instance, is many differences, not in nuance only, but also in salient points and precepts and tenets of faith. For instance, uh, the idea that ma'adum, something non-existent, 
is an actual existent. The philosophers believed that Ma'adum is something. Right. Ma'adum meaning a non-existent entity. The Sunni Mutakallimeen responded by saying Ma'adum is la shay, it's nothing. Right. Or for instance, the philosophers saying that that which is in the minds has an existence. But the Sunnis responded by saying that the thought, a uh, dhehni, uh, something that exists in the mind, has no external existence. Right. Likewise, the philosophers holding the view that matter is in is divisible for forever. Uh, the Sunni position was that the particle can reach a point where it comes into existence and out of existence. This was to counteract their argument, counter their arguments regarding the eternal universe. And like this, you can count so many various arguments, like the philosophers believed in al-aqul al-ashira, ten intellects that created the world, and then God created the ten intellects. The Ash'aris refuted this. They said, God is not a Jawar, is not a particle or a or material matter, and they denied the existence of al-aqul al-ashira. Likewise, Platonic forms or Aristotelian concepts, none of these are found in pure Ashari Kalam. The Ashari Kalam was developed to defend the Quran and Sunnah. Later on, Imam Fakhruddin al-Razi incorporated philosophy into the Kalam only to refute it. But then it was re it was purified of the, that philosophy by Imam Muhammad bin Yusuf al-Sanusi, who was also a muhaddith, he was a hadith scholar. And he lived in the 800s and he wrote a commentary on the Sahih of Imam Muslim. So Sunni Ilmul Kalam is not a, a development of Greco-Hellenistic philosophy as the Salafis are claiming. It's in fact a rational defense of the Quran and Sunnah. And if you go through the book in chapter 5, where I defend the contents of Bukhari and Muslim better than many of the Salafis have done themselves, meaning the Salafis because they reject Kalam, except those Salafis who adopt our methods, right. that I have right. done a better job in furnishing the defense of the Quran and the Sunnah, inshaAllah ta'ala. InshaAllah, mashaAllah. Sheikh, um, uh, closer to the end of chapter one, um, you speak about fallacies, uh, and there's 15 in particular that you speak about uh, that are mentioned about atheists. Um, why was that mentioned? Why do you think that's important uh, for the reader to... Uh, understand and its importance? Well, uh, many of those fallacies are in fact utilized by atheists unknowingly. And they relate to issues like jihad, for instance. Right. Uh, jihad is understood as violent terrorism by many atheists. Right. Uh, or the rulings relating to women or specifying certain rulings which are found in specific sects and then making that a general ruling of Islam. So it's essential that we point out these fallacies in order that the discussions with atheists are more healthy because the way a Christian would dislike Muslims misquoting the Bible or decontextualizing the Bible, likewise, atheists, we cannot decontextualize their arguments. It would be impermissible. And similarly, we do not like atheists or detractors of Islam 
decontextualizing our faith or our beliefs. So those 15 uh, fallacies were in fact developed from a Sheikh Abdul Rahman Hassan Habannaka rahimallahu ta'ala. I left out an Arabic bibliography of the book, but there are Arabic sources for the book also, which I will add on to, inshallah, in future editions. But I developed the 15 fallacies and then added various examples. One example I mentioned in there was the use of fabricated sources, like the claim that Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu an had the library of Alexandria burnt down. Right. This is false. Sayyiduna Umar did not have any such library burnt down, but the report was fabricated 500 years after the time of Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu an. Yet there are Christians and, and atheists who may utilize such arguments. So this is why the end of the chapter was important in highlighting some of those fallacies. MashaAllah. Um, chapter two, uh, Sheikh, I think, uh, I think you've also mentioned it in many of your um, congregations in regards to the book. That chapter two is probably the most difficult chapter for people to uh, understand. You speak about epistemology. Um, and, and why do you think it's so important to mention that and for the reader to completely finish after chapter two and continue to read on? I just find, uh, I think you've mentioned it many times as well. It's very difficult uh, to understand and fathom in chapter two to comprehend all of that. But epistemology, why, why was that important to go from that angle? So chapter two was a, is an uphill struggle of the book. Uh, but after... Chapter three, it's uh, downhill, meaning the entire book is easier to read. But chapter two deals and grasps or grapples with uh, with theoretical concepts. And because theoretical concepts are not real in the tangible realm, they become difficult to, ab to meaning the process of abstraction and picturing, getting getting a picturesque idea of what is being conveyed is difficult for the mind especially if the mind is lazy or not habitual in understanding such things right. so that chapter may seem theoretical to many people but it's important to understand because everything else is a subsidiary of epistemology right. meaning whenever we observe a person with uh, with deviant views or views that are convoluted uh, you will notice that their epistemology is flawed right so someone right. said to me the epistemology chapter is convoluted this is mainly that person is feeling that because they may not grasp some of the abstract concepts laid uh, or, or placed nested within chapter 2 so right. it's important that a person has patience and reads through chapter two or and does not place the book down but otherwise this book can be read randomly yes, you can I read agree. the chapters randomly you can read chapter four and you can read chapter three uh the book uh but at the same time the book uh, the chapters do interlink yes correct so it's best to read it in order of chapter one to six absolutely um sheikh you speak about um six ways of reaching certainty um, and using this methodology to prove the existence of Allah or a God to the, the, the atheist. 
how is that possible? I just want the, the people to kind of understand uh, the six ways of, uh, of uh, uh, certainty. So the six ways of reaching certainty, which I mentioned, one of them is mass transmission. So mass transmission of information, like we know of the existence of, of France or Paris, even though we may not have traveled to France and Paris. It's, uh, the other methods, all the methods from those six can be categorized into purely rational or those methods of ascertaining facts through the empirical senses, which is the method uh, number two. And the third method is a combination of both, a hybrid methodology, a hybrid of both. So those six methods that I mentioned, uh, the, the rational judgments and the external judgments or the judgments attained from data, external data, or a combination of both is the method adopted by Muslims because we are realists. Right. So if we were to be categorized, someone could refer to us as realists. While others have claimed that there is Aristotelian foundations uh, in, or foundationalism, as they refer to it, in our methodologies is totally incorrect. Right. The Arab Muslims Sunnis, when they were exposed to logic and the Hellenistic logic, they in fact removed so many key concepts of Greek philosophy and added so many key concepts of what is known as Arabic logic. Right. And this is right. where in that same chapter, if you remember the method of signification right. is mentioned yes. that was introduced by arabs muslim sunni arabs mm -hmm. uh, persians as well right. into books of logic arabic books of logic and it does not have its roots in uh, hellenistic greek philosophy so the reason it's important to understand these six methods how does that lead to god is our observation of the external realm right. and uh, i mean signifies the divine creator. This is in a simple form. Right. The the observation of this of the information that we receive in the empirical realm leads to the to the fact that the the divine creator is signified, and this is why chapter three continues from that because chapter three discusses contingency and how contingency uh, signifies a divine creator or a deductive argument for the certainty that a God exists. So this is why it's important to understand the epistemology chapter. Very good. Um, Sheikh, if you don't mind, I'm going to go back and forth and try to answer some, try to get you, sorry, to answer some questions that are coming live. So we're going to take our first live question. Um, and it's uh, from someone who is saying, if Christ was not crucified, how do you explain the shrewd of Turin or Turin? So again, uh, the questioner must be Christian, yes, uh, because the subject is atheism. But nevertheless, the Shroud of Turin, as far as I know, that would entail that the DNA of Jesus is on the Shroud. And it would also mean that the Christians have the DNA of Jesus. Right. So they have divine DNA. Uh, but that would be an absurdity for us that there is such a thing as divine DNA. Right. But I'm sure uh, historians, secular historians, 
would totally uh, dismiss the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin being authentically ascribed to Jesus Christ. I don't think it's a, a, a forceful argument in order to prove that that blood is the DNA of Christ. So why is the DNA checked if the DNA is actually Hebrew DNA from Jerusalem from over 2000 years ago? So it's a scientific experiment that is needed. Even though I can guarantee you that the Quran states that Sayyiduna Isa was not killed. Correct. So the DNA would not turn out to be what they expect. Um, so that individual is still asking some questions, but I'm going to move on um, and maybe at the end if we have time because uh, he's, he's, he's targeting specifically uh, in regards to Christianity. Um, but a brother who is um, who has read your book uh, just asked a question. Uh, can you ask uh, Sheikh to clarify uh, chapter four, page twelve. Sorry, chapter four, point one two, on page one seventy three, uh, and he quoted: "Although the will as a whole is created by God, the specific individual option of doing or abandoning something is not." Can we just get clarification from Sheikh? Yes. So uh, the outward reading of that. A person may be thinking that I mean that something is uncreated by God and has independent existence of God. That is not what is being stated. Yeah. The will of a human is created by God. Right. But the human free will is within the free will, within the will that is created within a human. The human free will is we can refer to as a mode. Right. A mode. That mode is the choice of the human. That mode is what is referred to as the choice of the human. Right. And therefore, that is what is is what we refer to as the free will. So when I say it's not created by God, it, it's not negation of an existence uh, that exists without the divine will of Allah, because everything is existing with the divine will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's referring to the mode of choice. Right. These types of modes of choice are referred to as ahwal by the mutakallimin. Right. Ahwal is like if I say to you, Zaid is existent, Zaid is existing. Right. It could sound like the like I am stating the obvious that Zaid is existing, but existing itself by saying Zaid. Is a reality that exists, but by me saying affirming Zaid is existing, existing itself it cannot be called non-existent or an existent. It's right. referred to as a mood. Right. That it's that state is referred to as a hal. Right. It's neither existing right. or non-existent. Right. So the mo within the free will, the free choice of a person is a mode, a hal, neither an existent or a, a, a non-existent. Understanding that one thing is what makes a person understand uh, the secret to having a free will. So it's not negating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having created the free will within the person. And I'm sure if the person reads the passages before and after, it further clarifies that line also. Inshallah. Uh, moving, um, moving on, uh, in regards to uh, previous questions uh, anticipating this, uh, this podcast, you've always spoken about uh, the end of times um dajjal uh and the new world order um you know if uh, for those individuals who are new to sheikh asrar 
please go on YouTube and you'll see a, a lot of in-depth discussions in regards to these, these topics. Uh, the question is, do you think atheism stems from those individuals who are the followers of this new world order and denounce the existence of God? You see, uh, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam stated no tribulation occurs except the tribulation is in preparation for the Dajjal. So right. if someone is asking whether there is collusion and conspiracy between collaborating be between the Dajjal, the person, and certain players uh, who promulgate these ideologies, this is unknown. It's ghaib. Right. But what uncertainty is that they stem from the same ideas because Dajjal himself and the beliefs of Dajjal are materialistic in essence. Anyone who believes in a material God, that God is contained within time and place, or can come in the form of a man, a physical entity, uh, or ascribes to God having two eyes and a human form, these are people who are either materialistic in their ideology and outlook, or, or have anthropomorphic beliefs. Right. So and additionally, at Dajjal, when he appears, he'll appear uh, during a period of famine mm -hmm. and food shortages, right. where people will not utilize their intellects in order to understand the correct concept of God, of who God is, meaning God is a transcendent uh, God. Who has who bears no resemblance to creation, but people who have a materialistic outlook will accept a human god, god in the form of a man. Right. So in that sense, uh, the corporate capitalism, Western corporate capitalism, and the post-colonial world system that we have, which is referred to as New World Order on the dollar, Novus Ordo Seclorum, <laughs> that system that we have right. essentially at its roots is materialistic so it has those commonalities with the jal right. and these are the commonalities right. people point out right um moving on uh, atheists uh, say that how can god uh, or if they're talking to a muslim how can allah command sayyidina ibrahim to leave his son sayyidina ismail alayhi salam uh, and uh, Sayyidah Hajra in the desert, claiming that God is evil and selfish. How can there well, be a God who tells them to do these things? Well, uh, the, uh, the person misses out an important clause that Hajar and Ismail are left in the middle of the desert, and straight away she is given a spring of water, a living and sustenance. And she establishes an entire civilization in the city of Mecca. And what they also failed to mention is that Ibrahim returns back and meets an older Ismail who has a wife, who has offspring and progeny, meaning he, he left him there and he was prosperous. Wow. Now, if Hajar and Ismail perished in the desert, then you, the argument would ostensibly have some weight. But in reality, the, the argument has no weight at all because they've not completed the story she was left for a very short time and was given a spring of water a source of water because water in the middle east is more precious than gold Absolutely. and she was not given any source of water she was given the zamzam well 
The Zamzam well is a well in the middle of the Mecca Valley from which millions of gallons are taken out every year for thousands of years and yet the water has not expired. The water is still gushing forth and that alone is a miracle of, of the of Islam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that there is water in a valley that people take millions of gallons every year yet the water has not dried up. So the, the person hasn't finished the, the entire story. Inshallah. Um, Sheikh, moving on back, uh, we'll, we'll come back. There's some, a couple more live questions, but uh, we'll go back towards uh, the, the, the book that you wrote. Uh, and you used um, an analogy called the teapot analogy, or you were, you were rebuttaling the teapot analogy. Um, can you explain it in regards to our point of view, Islamic point of view, in regards to Quran and Sunnah to combat the atheist belief? From Burton Russell. So Bertrand Russell said he made an analogy of the existence of God with a teapot. He said, God, anyone can make a random claim of an existent being. And he gave the, the analogy of a teapot, a teapot that uh, revolves around Mars. Or, uh, he, you can re refer back to that in the book. And I countered that by saying this is a disanalogy because the belief in a God or the belief in an, uh, in the divine is a necessary intellectual deductive argument that there is a cause first cause for the universe and an eternal first cause for, of the universe right an right. eternal first cause of the universe the an eternal first cause of the universe is totally distinct to a random claim like the spaghetti god or uh, a teapot because the teapot and the spaghetti god would be contingent beings in their very nature. A teapot made from China is contingent in its nature. It's, it has dimensions, it has material. Uh, uh, and if you remember the seven rules that I mentioned in chapter three, that all uh, meaning the seven rules that apply to all contingent bodies applies to the teapot and to the spaghetti god. But it does not apply to saying that there is a first cause of the universe which is eternal. Right. And then that eternal cause has power, or that eternal cause has knowledge, meaning the basic attributes of God Almighty. Right. Whether an atheist chooses to call that cause God or anything else, it's a disanalogy to compare it to a random claim. Right. Well said. Um... There's a, a viewer watching and has messaged and said, can you prove the hereafter if nobody has seen it? So this person uh, before the message said, I am an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven and I don't believe in hell. Uh, I believe that when we die, we will just uh, rot in the ground. Uh, so my question for your teacher is, how can you prove the hereafter if nobody has seen it, therefore can't prove the existence of life after death? Uh, the question is internally flawed because ostensibly the questioner is saying that he would believe in an hereafter if there were witnesses for the hereafter well there are witnesses you have the prophet muhammad you have the prophet jesus you have the prophet moses no one can be more truthful than those three so the the question is flawed internally because the person is saying give me evidence of anyone who has lived to see the hereafter well, we know of the existence of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who informed us and saw and witnessed 
thereafter he traveled into other realms in, interdimensionally so therefore the, the question is answered but then the, the atheist will not stop there because he will say i don't believe in the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam so then you go into the other questions so he should not stop at that one question as if to say if i answer that one question he would accept but the 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 question is answered by prophets that the prophets are those human beings that saw the other dimensions mashallah uh, i'm sure that uh, if they're watching they're going to send another question hafiza we can send it over to me uh, can you ask the sheikh one more question about statements like if god wanted uh, he could have had a, a child um sorry i guess there's some grammar errors here so i'm going to try to make it out sheikh um if god wanted he could have a child uh would these be illogical statements uh keyword that they're saying is wanted that statement is flawed again because god does not will the impossible so for god to have a child is is intrinsically impossible and the intrinsically impossible is not willed by god so answering that question briefly is that the divine power only relates to, to that which is possible and the, taking a son or a child is intrinsically impossible therefore the divine will does not relate to the intrinsically impossible inshallah uh, another question from uh, a, a brother who's saying i have a friend who is uh, leaning towards atheism uh, what should be the first steps in guiding atheists towards al-Islam and the truth? I would recommend for that person to listen to my lectures on the subject, have a read of the book, grasp the arguments that that person uh, will present. And remember one underlying point is most atheists have emotional psychological baggage with regard to bad experience with Muslims or something to do with religion and that is sometimes the main motive or impetus that leads them to leave Islam so finding that point is important so for instance a person who may suffer in a particular way and they hold that against God and then they develop their atheism from that uh, emotional and psychological basis that's very important when discussing with atheists Right. Sheikh, you mentioned many times in your lecture, just on a side note to what you just said, uh, you mentioned that uh, atheism or not even just hatred for the religion stems from somewhere. Um, so if you can give an example for the, the brother that is watching in regards to what may have caused that individual uh, to denounce himself uh, toward, towards or denounce him from Islam towards atheism. There could be many reasons. Sometimes a, a person suffers from depression and supplicates to God the depression is not removed uh, and therefore they blame God. Sometimes people self-inflict and they have psychological issues. They self-inflict, they feel suicidal right. and they blame God, right. they blame religion. Right. Sometimes a person could have been abused physically or sexually or psychologically and mentally right. and they blame right. God and religion. And this is this problem uh, is worse if the abuser is a ostensibly religious person right. and religion is blamed for this. Right. Uh, additionally, a person may suffer from some bereavement. A, a beloved person passes away. They cannot handle the death. Therefore, they blame God. 
So there, there are numerous emotional and psychological reasons that could lead a person away from having their attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the reasons, underlying reasons, is also lack of spiritual development. Right. So spiritual development is having your own personal relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is essential. Your own personal ibadah with Allah. And if a Muslim, and that is what we refer to as strengthening of Iman. Right. So a yeah. weakness of Iman is not having that personal relationship with Allah. Right. The sweetness yeah. of ibadah, halawatul iman, halawatul ibadah. When the person has this, then uh, they will not fall into the same trap. But the absence of a relationship, personal relationship with God, leads uh, can if a person suffers a trauma right. they it can lead them to leave islam leave uh, belief in god and then what they do is they look for arguments to justify that right. so they'll search the internet listen to but they will not be respond uh, responsive or receptive to the counter arguments so you, the the person who's asking the question if they gave a copy of my book to this person, will he read the entire book? If he was sincere, he would be receptive. But many you will find they right. will not be receptive. And what they do psychologically is they find weak opponents or weak people to ask these questions. Right. Why? So when they receive no adequate response, it gives them self-gratification. Right. But if the weak person said, I will take you to a scholar or a person who is grounded in these uh, in the counter arguments they will not be responsive to that person and that's because of those psychological reasons right uh going back towards the book uh sheikh um you, you mention uh you define uh, i just want you to elaborate about uh, the alien of the gaps and you and you discuss that and how its ideology can be true from both a scientific point and an islamic standpoint Yes, so Alien of the Gaps was a response to what is commonly mentioned by atheists of God of the Gaps. God of the Gaps is when a religious person does not have a scientific explanation for anything in the material realm, they make a reference to God, so which in fact is not a scientific hypothesis. So if we are asked regarding any phenomena in the world, and instead of giving a scientific explanation, we say God made it as such. That is not a scientific hypothesis. This is referred to as God of the gaps, meaning filling the gaps in science with God, right. which I also acknowledge that positing God as a cause is not a scientific explanation. Right. It's a metaphysical and spiritual explanation. Right. But science, the field of science, as I define in chapter uh, five, is uh observing the material realm and scientific experience when you refer back to chapter five you'll find my entire definitions in the beginning of that chapter so then i may i point out to something what richard dawkins said when he was asked regarding the origins of human life on earth right and he said it's possible that an alien life form placed the early human life forms meaning cellular life on earth which then went through the darwinian process of evolution 
Right. So I refer to that as the alien of the gaps, that when you have an inadequate scientific explanation, you are filling that void now with aliens. Right. And the problem is that unlike the explanation through God, which is a spiritual explanation, not a scientific one, this explanation leads to regress. Right. And regress is a logical impossibility. Regress of contingents is impossible. Right. The regress right. of contingents. What I mean by that is that contingent beings, those that come out of nothingness, continuously regressing, like I say, the cause of being, being X is Y, and the cause of being Y is Z, and the cause of being Z is A, and we go on, ad infinitum, uh, this is a rational absurdity. But when I say God caused everything, and what I mean by God is an eternal uh, being, right. or an eternal divine creator, or t eternal divine cause, that stops the, uh, the regression, the continuous regression. So continuous regression, is uh, an impossibility of of uh, contingent beings, right? Of contingent beings specifically, so that's why I mentioned the god of the gaps and the alien of the gaps. So, uh, interestingly enough, Richard Dawkins makes mockery of people who believe in God as the cause of everything, but yet entertains the idea and possibility of aliens having left the early life organisms on Earth. Uh, in chapter four, Sheikh, uh, you speak a lot about philosophy, uh, about attributes uh, of, of Allah Azza wa Jal. Um, and Stephen Fry speaks about uh, the evil of God. Can we speak about the attributes and its divinity and how we combat that to an atheist? So chapter four relates to the problem of evil. And chapter four, most people found chapter four the most beneficial. because it. This chapter responds to those psychological and emotional, uh, emotive arguments right. that are cited by atheists. If someone cannot be bothered to read the entire book, they should just at least read chapter four. And it responds to the existence of evil or what is deemed as evil, an imperfect world, right. suffering and human suffering and animal suffering. It responds to the psychological constraints of sinning right. because there are some muslims who may leave islam purely because they feel constrained by the sharia which they deem as being straight jacketed right so i cover the mercy immense mercy even for the sinners that one sin a person intending a sin no sin is written down for him when he carries out the sin he has six worldly hours to repent if he doesn't repent, only one sin is written down. In contradistinction to intention of one good deed counts as one good deed. When one carries out one good deed, 10 good deeds are written down, which are then multiplied by 700. And one good deed erases one bad deed. So you have 700 good deeds out of one, and one is deducted for the one bad deed, meaning immense mercy of Islam. Because there are some young people, women, who don't want to wear hijab, even though Islam commands women to wear hijab for their own modesty. Right. Meaning there's a logical reasoning why a woman wears a, must wear a jilbab. Or men who want to carry out immodest and shameful acts, right. or right. drink alcohol. These people are considered sinners, but 
the desire to do this does not entail you leave Islam. But there are some misguided people because they feel the constraint, the desires lead them to leave Islam. So chapter four discusses some of these emotional uh, motivations that people may have in order to leave Islam. And chapter four also delves into the divine attributes that the divine will and the divine power and the illogical arguments like uh, the question in the can God create a boulder so huge that he himself cannot then lift the boulder. Correct. And the response is simple that the question is uh, invalid because it's internally flawed as well. Because the questioner is asking, can God make himself uh, powerless? Hmm. And the answer is no, because the divine power and will only relate to that which is possible. Um, can we speak about free will, Sheikh, if you don't mind, just for a couple minutes? Uh, there's a question about uh, if we, if Islam gives us uh, free will, and atheists don't believe in any entity of God, and they do what they want, which is free will. So, how can we speak to them about free will from an Islamic standpoint, and maybe the differences between? Atheist free will and Islamic free will. So what we mean by free will is that human beings have been given a limited free will in this world in order to carry out God's commands and uh, not to carry out his prohibitions. Right. This free will is what we will be judged on. So anyone who reaches age of maturity of adulthood has intellect has no mental deficiency, has eyesight and hearing and his sound senses in order to understand the message of Islam. Right. The message of Islam is conveyed correctly to them. The tenets of Islam reach them and they are able to understand them. They are not busy to a point that they are unable to pay any attention, meaning right. someone may be so busy throughout his life that he has no time to pay attention to certain things right. uh, or he's a prisoner, a person, the person is not a prisoner, meaning some prisoners may not have access to true knowledge. Right. After right. all these conditions are fulfilled, the person is an adult, not a child. Mm -hmm. All these conditions are fulfilled within that limited free will that the person has on earth. He's the only thing demanded from him or her is to acknowledge the divine creator. This is the meaning of Islam, submitting, right. acknowledging the divine creator. Mm -hmm. The atheist, on the other hand, is the one who has the free will, who has all these conditions, right. but chooses right. not to acknowledge the divine creator, which is the very essence of kufr disbelief. Right. So free will is a limited uh, choice that we have in this world. The Muslim who submits to God decides to acquiesce and exercise his will in accordance with the will of God. The atheist is the one who denies the divine existence and therefore faces punishment in the hereafter. Um, a question arises that uh, if Islam, to your point, you mentioned the person has to have, uh, Islam had to have reached them. So if Islam doesn't reach anybody um, and they live in a remote area, uh, does that person go to hellfire? 
So the Quran states, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبْعَثَ رَسُولًا We shall not punish a people until we send a messenger to them. So a messenger is sent to them or the message of that messenger reaches them. Outwardly, the person is referred to as a kafir. Right. So you may have a person in a remote Indian village who dies as a Hindu or a Sikh. Right. We refer to them as kuffar. That's the worldly ruling. Right. But in the hereafter, only God Almighty can judge that individual, whether he, he, the message of Islam reached him correctly right. and all the other conditions and constraints that are mentioned. In, in regards to uh, another question somebody's asking, and it's probably one that you've faced many, many times, uh, in regards to if God is so merciful, um, then why all of these things in this world? Why the war? Why the famine? Why the uh, people who are poor or sick or cancer and any of those things? Uh, if he's so merciful, then why do we go through so much pain? Uh, there's many responses to this question, but shortly, the world is full of imperfections so we do not become attached to this world. If we became attached to this world, at the time of death, we would not want to leave this uh, perfect world if right. it was perfect. There would not be any need for a paradise because the world is perfect. Okay. Additionally, the person is only uh, concentrating on the, word, uh, the name of Allah, the most merciful, but Allah has other names. Right. Al-Mudhil, the one who disgraces. Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also Al-Khafid, the one who lowers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also Al-Muntaqim, the Avenger. Right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has other names that are opposites to other names. Right. The, the difference between attributes and names, uh, Al-Asma is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can have opposites to one. So Ar-Rahman, but he is Ar-Rahman, but he is Ar-Rahman with whom he wills. But he is also Al-Khafid, the one who lowers. So there are numerous names. If you check the 99 names, and other names of Allah, you will find the manifestation of those names in this world. Allah. Uh, common question. Um, somebody is asking, why does Allah need our worship? Why does this God need our worship? Uh, the response is very simple. Allah doesn't need your worship. He demands your acknowledgement of him. There's a difference. So the Ubudiyah is just acknowledging him. And the refusal to acknowledge him is kufr because the meaning of kufr, kufranu ni'ma, is denying a favor. What is the favor he gave you? Free will, intellect, uh, life. And you're only punished if you're an adult, have intellect, have free will, have freedom of movement. The message reaches you correctly. You're not in a state of intoxication. You're not in a heavy sleep when the message reaches you. Uh, you do not forget things. You're not so busy that you have no time to concentrate. Right. After all of this, all Allah demands is that you acknowledge His creation of you. Wow. That is the meaning, submission. That is the meaning of Al-Islam. Right. And everything else is a subsidiary, uh, the commands and the prohibitions. That is a subsidiary. But for salvation, right. it's submission to Allah. 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 Uh, Shaykh, if Allah knows he will create someone, so he's created, uh, I'll use myself as an example, he's created me, he knows if I'm going to do good in this world or going to do bad. Um, and you know my, if I do bad, my destination will be Jahannam. Then why create me in the first place? Uh, firstly, 
knowing what you will do does not mean Allah has enforced that freedom of you doing that action upon you. Right. Knowing that you will do something does not entail that Allah is forcing you to go to hell. Right. But what uh, this question is an, uh, a common question some people ask. God creating a person who will go to hell forever, doesn't this contradict his mercy and being all merciful? The response is no, because as I mentioned, God is not only all merciful, he has other divine names also. Right. But God giving you life, intellect and free will is a greater favor for you than your non-existence. And your choice you're going to if someone went to hell they're going to hellfire is by choice they choose to go to hell by invalidating the covenant with god by choosing not to acknowledge him so god knows that this person will do that but then someone was not satisfied with this response so i responded to them with the thought experiment very quickly Right. Uh, you find the uh, the video online also where I mentioned this, but I'll mention it again for the benefit of this conversation. Is that if you were taken back in time to 1879 oh, in Austria and you were brought in front of baby Hitler and you were given the option to kill Hitler or, or leave him to live. Now, if you kill Hitler, you only kill him because you know that he will kill uh, Romanians and Jews and innocent people. In Europe, right, and and you kill him for that reason because of the evil that the the tremendous evil that he will carry out against the world and humanity. But then you cannot condemn God for His will when He wills for things because God has eternal knowledge. We have a limited knowledge, right. so you can never condemn God for creating pestilence, disease, famine, illnesses, an imperfect world, murder, all these things. And if you take the second option that you will not kill baby Hitler, the only reason you're not killing baby Hitler is because you're giving him the right to grow up, have intellect, freedom and life. So you, in that case, you cannot condemn God for creating someone, giving them will, intellect and life, and they then choose to do actions which will land them in hellfire. Well, beautiful point. I was, that was uh, one of my questions next was about explaining the the incident of baby hitler uh moving on sheikh if god always existed and does not need our worship what is the need to create us and the rest of the universe god creating us as i said the gift of life free will and intellect is a gift but the gift of knowing god is a, is a greater gift than those three things so the option of knowing god and this is why Sheikh Muhyiddin ibn Arabi rahimahullah ta'ala said that the hellfire punishment for the people in hell who will be burning in hell eternally will become slightly tolerable, not physically, right. intellectually, because they will realize that they deserve to be punished. Right. So some people falsely ascribe to him that he denied eternal punishment or he they ascribe wrong statements to him. The correct position he had was that they will recognize that they deserve to be punished. Right. But on earth, Allah has now every atheist listening to this will comprehend that knowing God is the greatest gift that you can ever have. MashaAllah.
Sheikh, in uh, there's a lot of people who. Um, there's actually two questions uh, that came in, but uh, they keep messaging and saying to ask this question. It says, I left Islam. Uh, may Allah guide them back to the righteous path. But uh, I've left Islam because of certain imams and sheikhs and what they do to uh, women or children. This is not the way of Islam. Why did Allah put these people into such power? So the questioner is asking abusive imams and abusive sheikhs. Firstly, I've always spoken up against cult leaders who abuse children or abuse women. Yes. Secondly, the person asking this question, they should realize that if they never came across such abusive people, they would never have the mental capacity to understand psychopathic manipulators. Uh -huh. So if we never came across sociopaths, psychopathic manipulators who manipulate people for money, for sex, for violence, whatever sick ideas they have, we would never be perceptive of those kind of evil people. Right. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you, O listener, meaning the person who asked the questioner, question, placed you through this to protect others. Uh -huh. So he's, so you've experienced this and now you are in a place to protect vulnerable children and women. Right. So there is always a divine wisdom behind these things. Thirdly, realizing that there are such manipulating people who use the guise of religion right. should make us realize that the obligation is upon us, us people who are not sociopaths, who are not psychopaths, to take up the responsibility of the religion. If we abandon the religion, then you will have those psychopaths leading the way. Right. Fourthly, there are cases of abuse amongst even new atheists. So uh, some of the new atheists have been involved in many scandals. If you research this, you will find this also in new atheism and in every a religious and non-religious institution. So even the football leagues, right. even the movies in Hollywood, uh, all these various organizations and institutions. So it's a human problem. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed you through that experience in order that you may help others, inshallah. inshallah. Uh, Sheikh, you always, uh, you always mention uh, in regards to uh, these, these cultish behaviors of of these so-called sh uh, sheikhs and, and whatnot. Uh, just some advice for the sister who, who questioned earlier. Uh, she says, can you give me some advice on what I should do um, because I feel that God hates me because of such and such action. I'm not going to tell. She, she actually wrote what the action was, but we'll keep that uh, in a parda. Um, Meaning a sin. Does she mean a sin? Correct. Okay. Uh, firstly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the... Um, the hadith states the one who repents it is as if there is no sin of this no sin secondly the hadith in sahih muslim that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes more joyous right. at the repentance of a servant than a man who was lost in the desert, lost his camel and lost the provisions. You know the famous hadith? Yes. And he loses it and he, he thinks he will die in the desert. He goes to sleep under a tree. He wakes up and he finds his camel and everything. And he, out of excitement, 
He says, Oh Allah, I am your Lord and you are my slave. Mm -hmm. Meaning he doesn't realize what he is saying. He's so excited. Right. So the Prophet said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, joyous for Allah means rida of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has more rida with a rida meaning contentment with a servant who repents. So, and the Quran states that the people who despair of the mercy of Allah, that despair in itself is a greater sin. Despair is a great sin. And as you, as you remember, in chapter four, I mentioned the story of the prostitute yes. who gave the dog some water. Correct. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave a salvation for this good deed. So all our good deeds should be for the sake of Allah. And fifthly, I'll mention that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Shafa'ati li ahlil kabairi min ummati. My intercession is for the people of major sins from my nation. So you being from the nation of Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam means even if you have the worst sinner, you still will have the intercession of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So never despair. So this uh, questioner is falling into a worse sin, which is despair. Never despair. Inshallah. Uh, Shaykh, uh, a question arose. We're not going to take too much more of your time. Um, one of the uh, questioners are asking, or the viewers, is that atheism uh, along with science can prove their ideology all the way up until the Big Bang. Uh, do you agree to the statement? Yes or no? Uh, firstly, uh, what is the Big Bang? The Big Bang is uh, from the Hubble telescope. They observed the expansion of the universe from uh, I think from the Doppler effect and right. the refraction of light and, and the refraction of light shows that the universe is expanding. These things do not contradict Islam. There's no contradiction with our religion. Right. These things just explain the physical material realm that we live in and processes which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created and maintains. So there is no proof in science for atheism. As I mentioned in my book, that science is neutral to both Islam and atheism. Right. Science is actually a neutral subject. The only difference is that a Muslim scientist will read signposts of God in the science and the atheist will uh, not read those signs and deem uh, the universe as cell, a, a process of material elements and uh, derive his science from that. But there is no support of an expanding universe uh, and the inception point of a Big Bang for atheism. In fact, uh, if you read the debates between Craig and Smith in the Big Bang uh, uh, Theism, Atheism and Big Bang Cosmology, it's an Oxford University Press book debates. The debate concludes simply, if you read the entire book, the debate concludes with the atheist rejecting the causal principle and the theist saying there is a causal principle, right. meaning the atheist saying there is no cause for the universe and the theist is saying there is a cause that's all the subject sums down to right right uh a question sheikh that came uh, is uh, if how would you feel if you died and discovered that the hereafter was a lie well that won't happen sure. because uh firstly i have certainty that it won't happen but secondly if if there was no hereafter how would i know that there was no hereafter 
meaning the question is flawed. If if there is no hereafter, I won't know that there is no hereafter. True. Yeah. So that Very question good. can never Very be good. answered. Very good. Uh, next question, Sheikh, is in regards to uh, what would you say to an atheist um, who wanted to have a discussion about God um, and to prove that God existed? Uh, what are some of the examples that you can do or say to them uh, to prove that God existed or exists? Sorry. Well, uh, the you, firstly, use of the word God deters them from acknowledging the point. Uh, the point, the main point is that there is an eternal cause of the universe. And if there wasn't, the universe would have had to have existed or material for eternity. And that's impossible because it's not self-sustainable. Why is it not self-sustainable? Because the matter and energy in itself is decaying. I mean, the universe in itself is in decaying form. And anything that is as such cannot self-sustain so it would need a cause which is eternal and self-sustaining. Once the person accepts that there is a cause for the universe which is self-sustaining, then you go on to the, the divine attributes, knowledge, al-ilm, al-qudra, and al-irada, will. Once they accept any one of these attributes, they have acknowledged that there is a divine cause. Absolutely. Uh, Sheikh, I just want to take a couple of minutes for you to uh, kind of sum up the, the book um, there was a question that came up and said, if you can ask Sheikh, why someone who does not believe in God should um, should read your book? Because uh, people who claim that they are skeptic or atheist claim intellectual honesty and objectivity. So if someone is really honest and objective, then they would read the book. Like I read atheist books. If an atheist gave me his book, I would read the book cover to cover and I would also give them feedback regarding their book. I would not be closed-minded not to read their book. And the same goes for any religion or any ideology. When Generally, when people give me their books, I take out time and I do read the books. And I make notes on the books and I give them feedback on the book also. Right. So any uh, truthful person would do the same. Very good point. Uh, just a couple questions, uh, Sheikh, left. Uh, I, I think for the viewers, we're just going to take maybe one or two more. Uh, it's quite late uh, in the UK as well. And, uh, you know, uh, we have had uh, Sheikh here for an hour and a half. And if need be, then we can uh, humbly ask them to uh, to come back if there's more. There's a lot of questions that are being asked. I just, Sheikh, take one second uh, to kind of tell the viewers a lot of questions are coming in regards, not uh, regards to this topic. Um, so I know you guys are... Uh, wanting to ask uh, Sheikh, this is not just a normal Q&A, it's in regards to their book, Islam Answers Atheism, hence why some of the questions that you are sending me, uh, I'm not answer, uh, are not asking them because they're irrelevant to the topic. So uh, maybe that's a, 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 an episode for another day. Uh, Sheikh, uh, in regards to your book, um, the, the brother wants to ask, uh, why do you think uh, it's important for uh, it, Muslim readers to read the book um, to educate for themselves why, why this book from a Muslim standpoint? Very simply, all the arguments that you will ever face from Mus non-Muslims against Islam, you will find most of them in this book. Right. And the odd few that I left out, you will develop an ability to respond to those arguments yourself, inshallah. Every uh, counter-argument uh, against those who bring arguments against Islam are found within this book. Inshallah. Yeah.
inshallah um we just want to talk about uh you know if god um this is probably the second last question if god existed um with all of this division from religion uh why would that why would that happen uh, wouldn't there be one religion uh, one messenger etc well the religion of god was islam which is submission <clears throat> from ancient prophets all the way up to the prophet muhammad peace be upon him and whenever human beings tampered the teachings god sent different prophets and the last prophet is the prophet muhammad peace be upon him whose teachings have been preserved in the quran and sunnah right so the division within religion is man-made it's not caused by god almighty human beings themselves are the cause and if they want to transcend those divisions then they must be true and objective as possible in their search right. and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide them inshallah uh, last question uh, came from an atheist was why do you think islam is the truth how are you so sure I'm sure of the certainty of Islam because of the truthfulness of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the character of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam the biography of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and then also by reading Al-Qur'an Al-Karim where Allah talks to me where I hear the speech of Allah and the Qur'an actually addresses all my personal contentions with the world and everything else I find in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, which gives me absolute certainty with regard to the truthfulness of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. MashaAllah. Sheikh, uh, I just want to take the last couple minutes um, to, to turn it over to yourself, uh, a message from yourself to the viewers, uh, Muslims, youngsters, uh, and as well as uh, those individuals who don't uh, believe in, uh, in God, the atheists that are watching. Your message kind of to them to wrap up the episode. Uh, with regard to uh, uh, Muslims and young Muslims, firstly, uh, Islam is a religion which gives us guidance in all aspects of our lives, from economy, judiciary, military, uh, international relations, society, family, personal, all of these teachings and values are found in al-islam al-islam is our identity al-islam is our being which means submission submission to him to the divine creator a muslim should never feel that the sharia is constrains him because some people find the sharia difficult to act upon and therefore they believe uh, they feel a weakness of iman right. this should not be the case even at your worst state you should know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has immense favors upon you. Imagine you never had the favor of clean water for three days. Just a small favor of the immune system. Right. A small favor of uh, smell, touch, taste, the eyesight. As I mentioned in chapter 4, the man who worshipped Allah for 500 years, yet 500 years of worship could not compensate for the favor of eyesight. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps our intellect working our tongues moving, that we could wake up in one morning not able to speak and think. These things, faculties can be removed. These faculties haven't come from ourselves. They are not innate to ourselves. They have come from something external. 
what is that external if someone says it's nature nature is an uh, is just a description of material laws right but it's just a, whatever you ascribe to nature is in reality what you should be ascribing to Allah, like divine power, divine knowledge, divine planning. All of this are the divine attributes of Allah. So young Muslims, when you have this strong belief in Allah, what today the common assault against Islam is to disparage the character of the Prophet وسلم, or Sharia law. These two things. How do you counter those wasawis? Firstly, they will bring up the marriage of Aisha radiallahu anha. They will bring up jihad, slavery, uh, or so-called wife beating in the Quran, uh, uh, or the lashing for for an adultery or the stoning of an adultery, intending therefore to show that Islam is not a religion of mercy. So, anyone who comes across these arguments, read chapter six. I answer all these points. So, why this book is so important is that you will have a God and a defense against such uh, uh, facetious arguments against Islam. This is why it's so important that you uh, read the book, understand the contents of the book and convey the message to others also. There are responses to all the arguments against Islam, many of which have been presented in that book, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah. Jazakallah, Shaykh, um, for your time. Uh, it's a complete honor. Uh, we're going to make sure that uh, we kind of send this out uh, virally um, as well as on your page. I know uh, the, uh, the admin team took it and uh, shared it on the page. So um, I appreciate your time as always. I know you're, you're supporting us always uh, virtually as well as uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, last week you were uh, in Blackburn uh, at the Sufi, Co uh, Sufi Council of UK event as well. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve you for the Ahl Sunnah and the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I can't uh, thank you enough. So uh, jazakallah uh, for that. And please keep us in your du'as uh, always. Inshallah. Jazakallah, Shaykh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah.